Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. I lead Faith Christian Center in Austell, Georgia. Thanks for tuning in today. I believe today's message will encourage you, inspire you, help you live a life that makes Jesus famous in every area of your life. And as a result of this message, I believe something good is going to happen in your life as you listen and as you apply it. So listen up. Here's today's message. Open your Bibles with me once again to the book of Acts. On Wednesday nights, we are doing our verse-by-verse study of the book of Acts. We began last week. And so if you want to follow along with me in my notes, you can access them on the YouVersion Bible app. We can pick up where we left off last week, Acts chapter 1, verse 11. Acts chapter 1, verse 11, we'll call in the series Acts, Faith Experiences and Expansions. So one of the things we've talked about, the different themes of the book, and as we go through the first few chapters, we're going to list a few more themes. So as we continue throughout the 28 chapters of this book, we have a full understanding. Last week, we talked about a few things. We talked about some of the main characters. We talked about the language was written and who wrote it and why he wrote it. But let's pick up in Acts chapter 1, verse 11. And these angels said, ye men of Galilee... Why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. So they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey, so not that long of a distance. And when they were coming, they went up into an upper room. So there's sometimes we just read through scriptures, okay, they came back, the angels talked to them, they had a short journey, they went into the upper room and keep reading. But one of the things we don't always realize is some significance in certain words and certain phrases. This upper room is a central location of early Christianity. This upper room is a central location of early Christianity. The word upper room refers to a higher part of a house or the third level of a house. It refers to a higher part of the house or a third level of the house. Many scholars and historians believe that this is the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark. Mary, the mother of John Mark. He's the one who wrote the Gospel of Mark. He's also the one who became Peter's assistant and secretary. He was also involved in the missionary trips of Paul and Barnabas. Mary, or John Mark's family, are very important figures in early Christianity. And so this upper room is a location that the church frequented. It was an important meeting place. And it was a trusted meeting place. So one of the things you'll see about Barnabas later on as we get to him, he was very generous. He gave of his land to support the cause of the church. But Mary, either Barnabas' sister or Barnabas' aunt, donated her house and the services of her house for the church service to meet. It became an early church location. It was a large place. This lets us know that Mary, the mother of John Mark, was a woman of means. She had money. She had a large place where a large number of people could meet in a comfortable setting. And so when you keep looking at this upper room and how frequent it was used by the disciples, many scholars agree that this was also the location of the place where Jesus had his last supper. It's the place where they go on the day of Pentecost. It's the place they were praying when Peter came back freed supernaturally from the jail. It was a very important location in early Christianity. And so one of the things you think about is John Mark was a young man, maybe a teenager, maybe not a teenager, when Jesus was in the house in this earthly ministry. So as, while they're gathering in prayer these 10 days, John Mark, as a kid, is there. On the day of Pentecost, John Mark's there. It's his house. So he's seen all these things as he grows up. 
And God has been working on him since he was a kid to do what he had called him to do. So sometimes we have kids, you know, his moves with the spirit, and the kids are just sitting there going, well, well, look, everybody fell down. Look at that. You know, they may be paying attention. They may be looking at their phone. But when you keep them in the right atmosphere, the Holy Ghost is working on them. So they could be looking at a phone. They could be looking at going around, well, I just can't wait for church to be over. But remember, the Holy Ghost is moving on adults. He's still moving on kids. And so John Mark, the Holy Ghost had been working on him since the earliest days to become a prominent person in the church and whom the Holy Ghost trusted to write one of the earliest accounts of the Gospels. So continue on. So we see this importance of the upper room. What is next? Where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zelia and Judas the brother of James. So we see these 11 apostles. These are the remaining 11 disciples because, of course, we know what happened with Judas. Now, one of the things we sing Simon Zelliot, Zelliot is not his last name. That is what they called him, Simon the Zelliot. It is his political affiliation. If there were a few people in the book of Acts who say, make Israel great again, it would have been Simon. <laughs> the Zelliots were a political party who believed that God's will was going to be done on earth through political force. So some of the crew Jesus picked, they didn't always agree. You read through the Gospels, they are fighting with each other. They're bickering with each other. They're all different age groups. Peter, more than likely, was the oldest. John was the youngest. How much of the age gap between Peter and John? We don't know for sure, but remember when Peter was fishing? Who was his fishing partners? The father of James and John. So that lets you know James and John are a good number of years younger than Peter. So... Some scholars believe that Jesus connected Peter and John because Peter was the oldest and John was the youngest. And he's like, Peter, look out for John. It also makes sense when you think about the Last Supper, John leaned on Jesus. You don't see too many grown people leaning on other grown people. But if he was a teenager, it makes more sense. So you see these 11 apostles named. You see different aspects of who they are. And he said, of course, the 11 apostles are named. These are some prime individuals in the early church, right? But look who's next. These all continue with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women. Now, notice he said the women. This doesn't mean that, oh, a group of women were there. These are a specific group of women. Well, do we know who they are? Yeah. Go to Luke chapter 23, verse 39. We know who a number of their names are. These weren't just random women. There were a specific group of women Luke was referring to. A specific group of women who have honor in the early church. Luke chapter 23, verse 49. This is when Jesus is going to be crucified. And all his acquaintances, the women that followed him from Galilee, stood afar off, beholding these things. Verse 55. And the women also, which came with them from Galilee, followed after and beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. So one of the things we see about these women, these are women who follow Jesus from Galilee. These are ones who are part of his ministry. These are the ones who were going to prepare his body for burial. So we see some of the names in Matthew 27, 56. And it says, among which was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's children. So we know John and James' father was a partner with Peter, but the mother was also a supporter of Jesus' ministry. 
Now, how close was she to Jesus' ministry? Remember, she came to ask Jesus a question. Now, you have to be kind of close if you already have access that you can just walk up and none of the disciples stop you. Because you see in different places where people, the disciples are trying to stop people from getting to Jesus. But this is the mother of James and John. And what she says, well, Jesus, I need a favor. And Jesus said, well, what do you want? Now, notice Jesus said, oh, no, you can't have a favor. I don't know who you are. This already implies that there's already some connection there. And what do you ask? She asked, well, I want my sons. Now, this also lets you know how young John and James were. Because their mama came to ask a question for them. Some of you might say, yep, I've been right there too. It says, when you come into your kingdom, put John on one side and James on the other. The rest of the disciples were furious. But this is a person who was a supporter and involved in Jesus' earthly ministry. Then you get Mark 15, 40. It says, there were also women looking on afar off among who was Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and Salome. So there's also another woman named Salome. Go to Luke 24, verse 1. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, there came into the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they prepared, and certain others with them, and they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. We skip down to verse 9, and returned from the sepulcher and told all the things unto the eleven and to all the rest. So there was more people gathered together than just the eleven disciples and the apostles. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, so Joanna's another one, and Mary the mother of James, and other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. So this is the group of women Luke is talking about while he's writing the book of Acts. These are specific women whom Jesus appeared to after he was raised from the dead who went and told the 11 what they saw. So these weren't just a random group of women. These are a specific group of women that Luke is talking about. So we go back to Acts chapter 1. The next person listed is Mary, the mother of Jesus. Of course, we know she's listed. Oh, that's Jesus' mama. Of course, you're going to say Jesus' mama is there. But notice, what is Jesus' mama doing? Praying. In supplication. Waiting for the Holy Ghost. She's not a person, well, I gave birth to the Savior of the world. I'm going to stay at home. Y'all do the praying. No, she wanted the Holy Ghost too. Then it says, Jesus' brethren. One of the things, we, as we read the Gospels, Jesus had four brothers and at least two sisters. Jesus came from a large family. And what do you see on, what are they doing on waiting for Pentecost? They're interceding for the Holy Ghost. Because you see, Jesus' brothers did not believe in him until after he was raised from the dead. Didn't believe in him at all. But Jesus got his whole family in. As I told you last week, if you think Jesus remembered his family, don't you think he remembers yours? So you keep following God. God knows how to get your family. So what are they doing? They continued, which means they persevered. And they were constantly diligent in prayer and supplication. Supplication means request. What are they asking for? The outpouring of the Spirit. Jesus told them to gather and to wait until the Holy Spirit is given in that way. And so they gathered and waited and began to pray and request for the outpouring of the Spirit. But notice they are gathered on one accord. They had all gathered together for the same purpose. They had all gathered together with one mind one purpose, and acted as a single unit instead of as individuals. That's what one accord means. So instead of coming with all these groups of people, because remember, they all have different personalities. A lot of them have some strong personalities. Peter is a strong personality. Simon the Zealot is a strong personality. Some of these other people you see, these are strong personalities, but instead of coming as individuals with their own agenda, they came as one person. 
for one purpose. We want the Holy Ghost. This phrase, one accord, is one Greek word. And of the 11 times this phrase is used in the New Testament, 10 of the times it's present in the book of Acts. This should let us know the importance of the church being on one accord or the church being in unity. So one accord and unity is another theme you see throughout the book of Acts. We'll delve into it later, but unity or being on one accord is another theme of the book of Acts. So picking up in Acts chapter 1, verse 15. And in those days, Peter stood up in the middle of the disciples and said, the number of the names together were about 120. So this lets you know the size of the upper room, but also all the people who gathered. There are 120 people. Now that's a nice size house if you can have 120 people in your house. But the thing is, what you want to know is more than 100 people knew that Jesus was alive. It wasn't just 120 people, more new. How do you know that? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We know when Jesus appeared. We know the group of women who saw him. We know Peter and John went to the tomb. We know how he appeared to the 11 without Thomas and to the 11 with Thomas. We know he appeared to two people walking along the side of the road to Emmaus. Paul gives us some more details. And that he, Jesus, was seen of Cephas, Peter, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. So Jesus had many different appearances. We see in the book of John, he appeared to them on the side of the seashore. We see here that he appeared specifically to Peter once to have a conversation with him. We see specifically he appeared to his little brother James to have a conversation with him. But he also appeared at one time to 500 people. So this lets you know there's at least 500 people who know and believe that Jesus is alive. But only 120 were gathered together in the upper room. Because it said these continued or persevered or gathered constantly in prayer. So these 120 were the faithful who pressed in when there were still 500 people who, well, I can't come to prayer today. No. What else you got to do? Could you imagine the Insta story on the day of Pentecost? The Holy Ghost is pouring out. John Mark is taking pictures. People are following him going, man, I really miss church today. This was the day I was supposed to be there. So there's nothing new under the sun. Some of those days when you really don't feel like being at church is the day you really need to be at church. So it's not like they even waited a long period of time. It was just 10 days. Jesus ascended after 40 days, and 10 days later is the day of Pentecost. He just asked them to have a 10-day prayer meeting. So picking up verse 16, Peter says, Men and brethren, this scripture must need to be fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spoke before concerning Judas, who was a guide to them that took Jesus. So we see during the 10 days between Jesus' ascension and Pentecost, they were praying, they were reading the word, and they're handling appropriate business because Peter's about to quote from the book of Psalms. For he was numbered with us and obtained part of this ministry. Now this man, Judas, purchased a field with the reward of his iniquity. So we know the story of Judas. He betrayed Jesus for different reasons. We know Judas was offended because Judas was a thief. 
You read the book of John, and it says that Judas was the treasurer. Because also, you know, Jesus wasn't broke. You do not need a treasurer if you only have three pennies. Judas was a thief who stole money, the gospel of John says, out of the treasury continually. Now, this lets you know that there was so much money in Jesus' treasury that the rest of the apostles didn't notice. Because remember, Matthew was a tax collector. You know he was watching that money. Remember, there was a group of people, you read Luke chapter 8, who traveled with Jesus for the express purpose of paying for things. So Judas stole money continually. And then you read that when he said at, at one of the times they gathered for meal, when the woman came and broke the perfume and poured it on Jesus' feet, everybody, a lot of people think it's a beautiful scene. This is one of the disciples who read the gospel of John. You see, it was Judas specifically who said, well, this was a waste. It could have been sold and given to the poor. And then John added the comment, he didn't care about the poor. He just wanted to steal the money. Because remember, at the Last Supper, when Jesus leaned to Judas and told him something, the other disciples assumed that Jesus was telling them, go give some money to the poor. Because that's what he did regularly. You know, you can't keep giving money to the poor on a regular basis if you are the poor. So Jesus believed in giving to the poor. And he did it on a regular basis. So Judas was trying to sound spiritual and religious. Say, oh, we should really give more to the poor. But he just wanted to steal from the treasury. And Jesus rebuked him publicly for what he said. And he was offended at that. And that offense opened the door for the enemy to grab a hold of him. Now, you have to think, when Jesus, they tried to kill Jesus many times. You read through the Gospels, Jesus' life was threatened many times. They tried to push him off a cliff. They tried to stone him. They tried to do a lot of things to kill Jesus, but it never worked. So Judas, who had a problem with money and was a thief, maybe he didn't think Jesus could actually be killed. Because they tried to kill him so many times before. So, well, how about I make some money off of this? And Jesus escapes again like Batman and keep going. Because you read through the Gospel of John, it says Jesus hit himself. He is standing in the middle of the crowd, and then nobody can see him anymore. There's times when it says Jesus went into a crowd, and no one else could find where he went. Now, come on, if a, a huge crowd of people are staring at you, and then you disappear, and none of them can find you, that's pretty good. So Judas thinks, he could be thinking, well, they can't get him. I might as get some 30 pieces of silver. Because I can't get this money from this perfume this woman broke over Jesus' feet. I don't know what that was about. But I can get some 30 pieces of silver for the religious leaders and go from there. Because we see Judas' intent. You see, it wasn't to necessarily bring harm to Jesus. Because when it actually happened, he saw he was grieved by it. But his offense and his inappropriate relationship with money and probably other things opened the door for the enemy to grab a hold of him and use him. He betrayed Jesus with a kiss. And then when he saw Jesus being crucified, he ran away. Remember, Peter also ran. But Judas never repented. Peter did. We know Judas ran away and hung himself. And we know after the whole process of death, the rope snapped. And it talks about how his stomach and his intestines spilled open and his blood spilled on the ground. That's why they called that place the field of blood. Now, just go with me just for a moment. What if Judas repented? Just go with me for a what if. Let's pause right here. Go with me for a what if. What if Judas repented? Wouldn't have Jesus forgiven him? Could you imagine that ministry? I betrayed him. 
I sold him out. He forgave me. Won't he forgive you? See, some people let their past talk them out of the calling of God. The gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. God anointed you knowing your issues. God anointed you knowing your shortcomings. Because Peter denied Jesus three times. Started cussing on the last one. He was the leader. He was Peter the rock. We became Peter the baby. But Jesus still forgave him. All the other disciples ran away. The only one who stayed close was John. All the, the, the youngest disciple stayed close. While other ones ran away, yeah, Jesus got them all back together again. And didn't hold up against any of them. Don't let your past talk you out of your future. Don't disqualify yourself because you got some stuff in your past. Don't disqualify yourself because you're an ex-whatever. Everybody is an ex-whatever. But the blood of Jesus is greater than your whatever. And even with Paul, because God called him too, Jesus never brought up his past. So if Jesus didn't bring up Paul's past or Peter's past, why would he bring up yours? Stop looking in your rearview mirror or you're going to crash. Look forward into the calling God has for you. So Peter recounts recent history with Judas. And he quotes the book of Psalms, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate and let no man dwell therein and his bishopric let another take. And so they're picking a replacement. They said, no, Jesus told us we need to have 12, so we need a replacement for the traitor. Verse 21, wherefore of these men which have come with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and I'm out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto the same day that he was taken up from us, must be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. So what is the main requirement for this 12th apostle? They had to be a part of the group of disciples that followed Jesus since the baptism of John to the ascension. So this once again reminds you, it wasn't just the 12 of Jesus. We saw it was the 12. We saw it was a large number of women. We also saw there were many disciples. So when you read through the scriptures, you need to see if it's when you're going through the gospels, are you talking about the 12 disciples? Or he's talking about this large crew that went with Jesus. Because remember, one time Jesus sent out 70 disciples. Jesus had a crew with them. So Peter was like, let's look at this crew that's been with us for three years. And out of the ones who've been with us three years, let's pick who was going to take Judah's place. So two names come up, Barsabbas and Matthias. And then what you see in verse 24, and they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knows the hearts of all men, show whether of these two you've chosen. Tell us which one you've picked, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, or they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So they prayed, and then they cast lots. Casting lots was an Old Testament method to determine the will of God. Casting lots was an Old Testament method to, re- to determine the will of God. You see it in the book of Jonah. You see it in the book of the law. You see it in different places. And so some of them, it's equivalent to like how you ever driven, drew straws to see who had the longest or shortest straw, something similar to that. It depends on which account you look at. So they used it to determine the will of God. Why? Remember, under the old covenant, no one had the Holy Spirit on the inside of them. The only people who had the Holy Spirit upon them were three groups of people. 
prophets, priests, kings, and then a fourth one was those who had special assignments like judges and a few others. So most of them did not have the Holy Ghost. The majority didn't. And the majority did not know how to be led by the Holy Ghost. Even those who had the Holy Ghost still didn't always know how to be led by him. So what are these 120 doing? They're doing what they already know from their Old Testament teaching. So they cast lots. Now the thing is, they already had the Holy Ghost. How do you know that? John 20, 22. Jesus breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. As soon as Jesus was raised from the dead, the new birth was available. When they, what is it, how to become born again? You believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, right? Then this is what this 120 did. They believed Jesus was alive. They said he was alive. They said he was Lord. They are saved. Jesus appeared to one time so they could receive the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit's on the inside of them, but they don't know how to be led by him yet. How many Christians does that describe today? They got the Holy Ghost, but they still cast lots. They still look to things of chance. They look to outside natural things to lead them when they already got the God on the inside. But one of the things you see starting in chapter 2 after the day of Pentecost when the Holy Ghost was poured out, the New Testament church never casted lots again. There's an emphasis in the book of Acts, the Holy Ghost said, the Holy Spirit said, the, ho- the Spirit bade me. Why? The Holy Ghost is leading them. And so it will say, the Holy Ghost would not allow me to do this. The Spirit of Jesus would not allow me to do this. There's an emphasis on the leading of the Holy Ghost, which lets you know that you're not supposed to look to outward circumstances. You're supposed to look inward to the Holy Ghost on the inside to lead you and guide you. I like how, how one man of God said that we are redeemed from guessing. You look through the Gospels, and you say, well, Jesus said, I guess we should do this. Well, I guess we should go there. No. He says, this is what we're going to do. This is why I'm sent. The early church, you see, a lot of times they had the same, this is what we're going to do. It seems good to the Holy Ghost. Why? They're consulted with him. We're redeemed from guessing. We don't have to cast lots. We don't have to pick the longest straw. We don't have to roll dice to find out the will of God. We have the Holy Ghost. And we didn't get a junior Holy Ghost. The same Holy Ghost that was on Jesus. The same Holy Ghost that was in and on Peter and James and John and Paul is within us and upon us and dwells in our midst. We have the same Holy Ghost. So if they, as soon as they receive that Holy Ghost upon them, they didn't have to cast lots, neither do we. We can trust that we can be led and guided by the Spirit of the living God. So go to chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day at Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. We're always so used to getting to verse 2, and especially if you've been trained in the ministry room to get people filled with the Holy Ghost, you're jumping to verse 4, because verse 4 is where you want to go. Because there's a point you can point out so that people know what to do. But look at verse 1 again. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, to us Westerners, to the majority of us, we grew up here, day of Pentecost, okay, great, uh, Pentecostals, the Holy Ghost. But to them, up until that moment, Pentecost did not represent being Pentecostal. Pentecost to them at that moment did not represent the Holy Ghost being poured out. It was a Jewish holiday or a Jewish festival called Shavuot. It marked the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. It marked when Moses came down to Mount Sinai and gave the Ten Commandments. That is what Pentecost represented 
at that time. And when the law was given, 3,000 people died. Shavuot was also the time when first fruits were harvested and brought to the temple. Shavuot or Pentecost was also the time when first fruits were harvested and brought to the temple. Shavuot was called Pentecost because it was 50 days after Passover. Penta, 50. Shavuot was called Pentecost because it was 50 days after Passover. But one of the things we know since Pentecost is the day the Holy Spirit was poured out, watch this. On this day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, the first fruits came into the kingdom of God. In a time where the first fruits of the harvest went into the temple, now on this Pentecost, the first fruits come into the kingdom of God. And then instead of 3,000 people dying, we see after Peter preaches, 3,000 people are born again. So we see, one of the things you see at the very beginning is that this new covenant is far better than the old covenant. Because one of the things you'll see, as we'll point out as we go through this book, they didn't know that. They didn't get it yet. It took Paul to say, dude, what are you doing? You see how they are zealous for keeping the law throughout the book? And Paul's like, what's What's wrong with y'all? Don't you realize this, that, and the other? But they didn't. Because part of it, we'll get into it later, is it was tradition. It was all they knew. But your tradition can make the power of God of none effect. And their minds had to be renewed, and they had to step out of what they were taught so they can go into what God had for them. Because remember, Jesus had to change Peter's mind through a vision. Because Peter, even though he had a mouth on him, even though he was a wannabe gangster, what do you mean wannabe? He had a sword, but he had bad aim. When you swing at someone with a sword, you're not trying to cut off their ear like a warning shot. You're going for the head. He missed. Peter was also, it was a law-abiding Jew. He said, I had never eaten anything that is ceremonially unclean. I've never had any bacon at all. That's what he's saying. I've never had any bacon-wrapped shrimp. Some of you are like, oh, pastor, don't start this. Sounds really good right now. So this is what Peter said. He kept the law. You see, a lot of these people, they kept the law. But one of the things you see through the book of Acts, you'll see our covenant is better than the old. And the Holy Ghost is trying to get them to live under the new covenant. So when the day of Pentecost was fully come, one of the things you also understand about the statement is God has moeds, or set times on his calendar. Pentecost was a moed. It was a set time. It was a festival. Moed is an Old Testament word, Hebrew word. It was a set time on God's calendar. God also moves by set times. There's many different moeds in the Old Testament, many different Jewish festivals, but they all point to Jesus and his redemptive work. We know one of the most famous ones is Passover and the Passover lamb. Jesus, who was crucified at the Passover time, is our Passover lamb. Remember, John said, behold, the lamb of God. So all the different feasts in the Old Testament point to Jesus' life, his ministry, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and his return. God moves by Moets. So they were all on the day of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. See that phrase again? They are once again seen acting as one person, not as several individuals. 
one person, not several individuals. They were there with one mind and one purpose. I was talking to my good friend Chris Palmer. And so he's a Greek scholar. He's gone through every Greek class possible, got his degrees and everything. He does this podcast every week called Greek for the Week. And so I was texting him and said, hey, you have any insight into this phrase? He says, it's like irony in this, how they use the words. It says, when the Holy Ghost looked down, instead of seeing 120 different people, he saw one person. Because that's how much unity they're operating in. See, operating in unity or on one accord is a magnet for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Operating in unity or one accord is a magnet for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Because Psalm 133 said, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garment as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commands the blessing. We're in unity, even life forevermore. And we know when the temple was dedicated in Solomon's day, that it even came to pass, 2 Chronicles 5, 13 and 14, as the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments and music and praised the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever, that then the house of the Lord was filled with the cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister by the reason the cloud for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. Unity. Or being on one accord is a magnet for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. So back to Acts 2, verse 2. They're on one accord on the day of Pentecost. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Now we read through that. Oh, there was a rushing mighty wind. It didn't say that. It said there came a what? Sound. A sound. What did it sound like? We know where did it come from? Heaven. What did it sound like? A rushing mighty wind. So it didn't mean it was a rushing mighty wind. It's what it sounded like. And it sounded like a rushing mighty wind because that's the loudest noise they could compare it to. It could have sounded like an explosion in modern day terms. Or rocket taking off. The loudest sound they could compare it to, was a rushing, mighty wind. And it filled the house where they were sitting. The wind didn't fill the house, the sound. Imagine how loud the sound has to be to fill that big old house. It filled, it's reverberating through that atmosphere. I'm sure it's going through them, this how loud the sound was. And in the middle of the sound... There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. This word cloven means divided or distributed. So in the midst of the sound, there appears tongues of fire that distribute themselves and rest upon each person gathered. So whether it appeared as one big pillar of fire in the middle or as many different ones, they began to arrange themselves in the middle of the air, divide themselves, distribute themselves, and find the person they're supposed to rest on. Everyone had a distribution. Everyone had their assigned part of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. So when the Holy Ghost was poured out, no one got missed. You, see, you can imagine those flames of fire, these tongues of fire looking for the right person. Uh, there you are, Peter. There you are, Mary. There you are, John. There was a Holy Ghost outpouring for them. The Holy Ghost don't miss nobody. 
and it came and sat upon each of them. And what happened as a result? They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were filled first. What did they do? They began to speak. They said the Holy Ghost began to speak? No, no. The people began to speak. So the Holy Ghost didn't make them speak. Even though he came upon them in such a magnificent and wondrous way, he did not grab their tongue, shake it, and say, say something. Because when you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you can be filled all day long, but you still got to open your mouth. You still have to supply the vocal cords. You're still supposed to supply the breath. You're supposed to open your mouth and let the Holy Ghost pray through you. Because as the Holy Ghost gave them the utterance or the manner or the style in which they spoke. So if someone asked Oral Roberts one time, said, oh, you mean when I pray in the Holy Ghost, I can turn the Holy Ghost on and off? And Oral looked at it and said, no, the Holy Ghost is always on. It's weird. It's us who's on and off. He's always on. It's when you want to yield and pray. It was their decision to open their mouth. I'm sure they felt a prompting on the inside. Well, let's pray. Let's open them out. And this beautiful language came out. And because of this unique manifestation of the outpouring, there are tons of people around them who begin to hear all these different languages, which lets you know from the very beginning days of the church, the church was always supposed to be multicultural. From the very beginning. But we'll get into that next time. Stand to your feet. Oh, Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for making it come alive to us. Continue to give us instruction and revelation from the book of Acts so we can live the way you called us to live so that we can have more faith experiences and faith expansions. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things we'll get into next time when the Holy Ghost is poured out. What happened? 3,000 people got saved. Church growth is not a suggestion. Could you imagine, Peter? Well, do you think your church should grow? Do you think my church should grow? Could you imagine going to Paul? Do you think your church should grow, Paul? Do you think you're at a good size? But do you think my church? It wasn't a question, it was we have a mission. We have work to do. It wasn't ever, uh, well, maybe, well, maybe we should be comfortable. No, we've got to go. We're looking for people to win. And that has to be ours, too. So, well, when will this church be big enough? Never. Ever. Ever. Why? As long as there are people going to hell, we have room to grow. And as long as there are baby Christians somewhere, we have room to grow. So we understand the same mission that they had. They had outpourings of the Holy Ghost, and they got people saved. So as you heard me say last year, you don't have to pick one or the other. Do we have the move of the Holy Ghost, or do we get people saved? You can have both. Because who's the chief agent of salvation? The Holy Ghost. And he has a plan for us like as a plan for every single church. Amen. I hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. Connect with us on social media. Our handle is at WeAreFaithATL. 
Follow us online at FCCJ.com. If you want to support the ministry financially, you can text FCCJ to 73256 or give online. But most importantly, we never want to close a broadcast without giving you the opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you never pray this prayer, repeat after me. Meet it from the bottom of your heart. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your Son. I believe that He died for me, but on the third day, You raised Him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with Your Spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you pray that prayer, we believe you've been born again. So if you pray that prayer, let us know by connecting with us online or emailing us at info at FCCGA.com. Once again, thanks for tuning in today. We look forward to seeing you next time. Have an amazing day.